everyone. I'm Luke, and hello to everyone watching online or at any of our campuses, Edgewood and Abingdon and Aberdeen and Hey Mountain Road. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're wondering about the handcuffs, I suppose. I don't usually wear them. Uh, this is not the comfiest of accessories. Actually, I got in some trouble backstage, and it's not looking good for me. No, really, I'm going to bring out a big tank filled with water, and I'm going to get in and lock myself, and I'm going to escape right before your eyes. Wouldn't that be amazing? So much better than listening to a sermon. No, ben, Ben's the magician. Maybe he'll do that for us someday. Uh, the, the handcuffs are relevant to the message. That part is for real. And another thing that might also be true today is that you don't really want to listen to this sermon when you find out what it's about. Some of you already know, you have been scoring at home and keeping up all the way through the summer, and you know that we have been working our way through one tiny part of the Bible in Galatians chapter 5, reading it together each week. And in fact, let's do that again. Let's put it right up on the screen, and we will read it together. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. Everybody read it together wherever you are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of this sounds very beautiful. And it, and it is. And if you have come along, you know that we have spent these eight weeks devoted to these eight things leading up to today when we finish with the ninth one talking about self-control. And I don't, I don't mean to sour you on it before we even get started, but I do understand that for many of us, self-control probably strikes uh, in, in a way that lands sort of like maybe patience and it's kind of like, well, yeah, I guess it's a good thing, but I'm not very good at it. And I wasn't eager to be reminded. You may be like, well, what time is it? Today already I can think of moments when I have overindulged, I've overspent, I've overreacted, I've overate, I've overdone it in some kind of way. Maybe that's you. On the other hand, there, there could be some of us who actually have some uncertainty about how good of a thing self-control is. Because it could sound limiting. It could conjure up this very kind of an image is you're bracing for some uh, prudish Victorian rant about all the stuff you can't do, all the fun that you can't have. You're not in the mood for no temperance talk, no chastity belt chastening, no dieting tips diatribe. You don't want that. Understood. We'll talk about that. I will say, though, that uh, this is one of those things where uh, listening to the message actually, actually won't be so bad. I mean, no guarantees. But... It's just that listening isn't really the challenge. As is often the case when encountering God in God's word, listening will be rather easy. For me, speaking it will be rather easy. It's the doing it part that for all of us, well, that's what's most difficult. And, and yes, you probably already know that when it comes to self-control. But, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, let, let's... Uh, Let's back up, and even in spite of some potential hesitations, maybe we can allow the scriptures to get a hold of us today. Galatians 5 will be helpful to have that open. Go ahead, get your Bible out or turn it on. Galatians chapter 5, it's near the end of the Bible in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, we'll explore more of that soon. But we've already been in it. We, we've seen the list, and it culminates with self-control. And we're going there, but just to reinforce some things first. Okay, number one, this uh, list with a bunch of different things, it's maybe not best to think of as a list with you know, a bunch of different items that we have to accomplish. No, this is a singular thing, the fruit of the Spirit. A picture of what can be true when God's Spirit is welcomed into a person's life or into the life of a community. And two, 
notice this, this fruit is the result of a connection to God. It's not a God will be proud of me when I do all these things, or I can approach God after I have achieved all of these virtues. No, no, no. The claim is that the, the people or the person that cultivates their life like a gardener who tends carefully to the environment, weeding out all of the, the bad and the harmful things and making room for the presence of God. That person's life or that community's life together will begin to show out in a way that looks like love, joy, peace. New possibilities for patience and kindness and goodness growing up and reproducing. Faithfulness blossoms. Gentleness unfolds. And self-control is consistently harvested from a lush, spirit-fueled life. It is a compelling picture. And, and, and all summer long, we have been considering, does the portrait of my life look anything like that? The, the, the life or the, the garden that I am responsible for, is it yielding that kind of fruit? How, however much or little, however big or small, at this particular stage, but am I growing in that direction? Who am I becoming? Pro probably all of us in a fast-paced, interconnected world, we would say we have a full life, but what is it full of? And yes, today we will be specifically Considering, do we want to be full of more self-control? Could, could that even be possible for us? And how? How would we even accomplish such a thing? The curious thing for me is that when I start to think about self-control, there are a pair of things that are both true at the same time. And they don't cooperate with one another. The first one is this, and I'm going to try to speak kind of on behalf of everyone. Okay, be patient with me. I think I can um, say, say something that's generally true for everyone, and that, that is this. I'll say it like this. We want to do what we want. Okay? Or, or maybe we, we would say we want to do whatever we want. Okay? It's, it's this impulse toward self-indulgence. Our, our animal drives, if you will. Now, you might be ahead of me and you say, no, 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 I have a moral governor on my desires. I'm not just selfish all of the time, and that's fine, and we'll talk about that. I'm just saying that, that we all have appetites. Desire is a flame within each of us, and it is a consuming fire, and it is always wanting more. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a statement about the way things are. We are creatures with cravings. What we've got to notice, though, is uh, what, how, how we're commonly taught to respond to or to manage those cravings or those desires. Okay. Painting with a broad brush here, but I think it is fair to say that a pretty consistent message that is coming through from your average sitcom to a Disney movie to a product slogan to a graduation speech to your run-of-the-mill unsolicited advice uh, bantered about on social media is to nurture those desires. Go with the feeling. Follow your heart. Obey your thirst. Express yourself. Be true to yourself. Speak your truth, which of course is defined by what you're feeling inside. Let the inner voice come out and be heard. There is a drive toward limitless self-expression and the unhindering of desire. Why? Well, 
because that is how you become free. And, and freedom is defined as the ability to do whatever you want. And it is among the most highly sought after things that, that, that we know. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold me back anymore. I just did that to embarrass my daughters if they're watching. But No right, no wrong, no rules for me. That's how that song goes. Isn't that the dream life? It's to not have to follow any re restrictive rules. It's, it's to be able to create for yourself the life that you want and to transcend all constraints. Isn't that the allure of, of the lottery? If I had all that money, I could do whatever I want. I would be free from the current prison of my limitations and I could get a hold of the things I desire. Isn't that the allure of power? If I were in charge, then I could make the rules. Or I could make no rules. I, I, I would be unfettered in doing whatever I want. I would be free. At the all-inclusive resort, nothing is off limits. Sex is free online and she never says no. So get what you want. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, be free. John Mark Comer wrote a book uh, called Live No Lies. I'd recommend it to you. He talks a lot about this, probably says it better than I do. And he observes how we've been taught to believe that any uh, internal uh, constraints, any internal effort to constrain your desires is repression. And any external constraints imposed are oppression. And, and those are both bad things. They rob us of freedom. Now, now, certainly, he and we, we're all aware of oppressive forces that are evil. Oppression from governments and even from churches or abuse from individuals has stolen freedom from so many people in places all over the world. And you might be one of them. There is such a thing as oppression and repression. But we're not just taught to, to see those things for what they are. Rather, we are more and more taught to see any restrictive force of any kind as a bad thing because it quells our desire. It stifles our feelings. It keeps us from doing what we want. And we all want to do what we want. Are you still with me? I'm not trying to offend all of you and say that you're all hopelessly selfish people. Okay? I am saying that we all have these desires present and we are all living in an environment that puts overwhelming pressure on us to believe that freedom is found precisely in the ability to do whatever we want. As a result, talking about self-control in that kind of environment well, I guess it is kind of challenging. On the other hand, there is another thing that is also true that I, I think I can be so bold as to speak for everyone here. And it's this. We want to do what we want. Now, I realize I just wrote exactly the same thing. But here, I'm, I'm not 
talking about the impulse to indulge and just let our feelings run wild. See, see, those aren't actually the only desires that we have. What we want is the ability to do what we want. We want to be able to follow through on our best intentions. We, we want to be able to live up to the high aspirations that we have for ourselves. I mean, all of us would probably express something like, I want to be a good person. And we have in mind when we say that, not all night binges, not shopping till we drop, no, but matters of character and virtue. Those things too are objects of our desire. I wish I could live up to my own expectations. I don't, but I want to. I want to be a loving husband who cherishes my wife and serves her needs ahead of my own. I want to be a dad who is fully present and attentive and encouraging and a source of blessing and strength for my kid. You, you know what I'm talking about. You have those desires too. You may not be a dad or, or a spouse, but you, you know all of us. All of us want to be the kind of person that people can really be honest about when they're talking at our funeral. Okay? They don't have to embellish the truth. They don't have to blow smoke. But they can review our lives and see that we were, uh, find evidence we were successful in pursuing what we really wanted, in becoming who we really wanted to become. I mean, these are the kinds of things that everybody talks about when you die. The, the funerals I've done, even for the most indulgent people, okay? You banter a few jokes around about this, okay, sure. But, but the accent is right here on how this person pursued what was noble and good. And get this, the way they restrained their base desires out of a desire for something better. Out of their self-control, they were humble. They sacrificed. They were generous. They loved at a cost to themselves. They gave up the freedom to do whatever they want so that they could pursue what they wanted more. And isn't it interesting that when we look at a person like that from the perspective of their death, they are almost universally respected. Even in our throw-off-all-constraints culture, they are revered precisely because they constrained these desires in favor of these. It is a bit challenging to talk about self-control. Because these two things are both true at the same time. And they are at odds with one another. You see, the way of self-indulgence promises freedom. But, but I have discovered that the more that I indulge in whatever I want, the more I am restricted from doing what I really want. Lustful thoughts, internet pornography cut me off from the intimacy that I desire with my wife. When I just Unleash anger and let it go. I'm locked out of joy and contentment and integrity, frankly. I, I just say whatever I want. Gossip, vent, disparage. 
I indulge in, in cynicism, nurture negativity, and I end up handcuffed to a bitter, self-righteous, negative jerk. Oh wait, that's me. Yes, freely doing and saying whatever I want, but now not free to do and to be what I really want. You know what I'm talking about. Spend whatever you want, and debt will enslave you. Drink however much you want to the point that you couldn't stop even if you wanted. Scroll without limits. Just scroll till your heart's content. Ha! What a lie! This imbibe of media unfiltered, gobble it up more and more as anxiety locks you down more and more. You're imprisoned. The freedom to do whatever you want has handcuffed you from doing what you want. Are you still with me? The purpose of this jaunt is to prepare us to hear the scriptures. These things that we're talking about are not new. They are exactly what Paul has in mind when he writes Galatians 5 which we've been sitting with all summer, and you can go there now if you have a Bible in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's his word for our our animal appetites. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Love, true love, the kind of love that we, that we talk about when we see it in people's lives at their funeral, that flows from the constraint of these self-indulgent desires to produce an uninhibited flow of generous, caring action. That's love. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is is contrary to the flesh. That they are in conflict with one another. Boy, don't we know that. So that you, you are not to do whatever you want. Walk by the spirit. That's how you become free. Free not to indulge in doing whatever you want, but free to pursue what's good and right and true and beautiful. Free from self-indulgence, from self-absorption. Free from the black hole of your endless appetites and free to produce self-giving love. Don't you want that? The alternative, well, we we know the alternative. Uh, The alternative, the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. When's the last time you used that word? Nobody talks like that. But just about sexual licentiousness, just going everywhere. Idolatry and witchcraft, you know, trying to manipulate God to get him to do what you want. And then all of this social strife, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It, it, it's just not what the kingdom looks like. Remember, Paul is addressing a community, um, like ours, not a perfect one. 
And it's, it's as if he, he's trying to form the community by his words in the same way that a coach tries to form her team by her instruction. In this case, it's the church, a community called to live as if Jesus is the boss, the king, the coach, the Lord, and reaping the richness that comes from that. So, you know, you might, you, you read a list like this, and you maybe try to deflect it or tame it a little bit, and just sort of look at it as a list of naughty things that you as an individual are not supposed to do. Okay. Sure, but consider, think on a different plane from it, a thought experiment, okay? Consider what a community would look like if these were the actions that were multiplied by everybody. If everyone lived according to the flesh, if they always uh, obeyed their thirst, okay? You think, well, why is the Bible so hard on me if I indulge a little bit? I mean, what's the big deal? But, but could you scale that self-indulgent behavior? Okay, all that, all that sexual immorality stuff at the beginning? Right? Um, young guys are thinking, oh, yeah, you're thinking of a girl's gone, girl's gone wild or a paradise island or a spring break kind of a scene. And you're thinking, yes, that sounds great. I want that. I would love to live in a community where sexual desire can run wild. No, you wouldn't. If everyone only marched to the beat of their sexual impulses, but loneliness would be the best thing that a person could hope for. There would be no connection, no trust. Your needs or interests, your dreams would never be the concern of anyone else. You would only be valued by what you put out. Anyone you think you love would, would only be bound to you until their impulses are enticed in another direction because they're actually bound to the demands of their desire. And that slavery will produce only diminishing returns until desire remains at 100 and satisfaction dwindles to zero. Naughty? Yeah, okay, it, it's just, it's not the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it would not be freedom. It would be bondage to let the flesh have its way. It's not what God wants for his people. You can't build a life. You can't build a community with that. In the kingdom of God, sex is valued so much more highly. It is handled with a care that protects it within the framework of a marriage covenant. The Spirit produces self-control, which grants freedom to enjoy its edifying purpose. That's the logic of this whole part. You keep going, and it applies to the relational strife. If you read in Galatians, Paul, he's talking about this the whole letter. Okay? The kingdom of God is not, it doesn't look like um, brothers and sisters throwing off their kindred bonds to just let hatred and jealousy and rage and envy explode and destroy what God has brought together. You can't multiply that in God's kingdom. Who wants to live in that community? Who wants to be part of a family where the flesh takes over? It's not just, oh, don't be mean, that's naughty. No, that meanness. In you growing, if, if you let meanness and jealousy and anger take root in you, it will grow and destroy the whole thing and take you down with it. So thank God that God's kingdom looks like each member of the community embracing the responsibility to place constraints on those impulses. And the spirit is given to make that kind of self-control possible. Can you see what's at stake 
when it comes to every single one of us nurturing the Spirit's presence in our lives. I know. Rather easy to talk about. Harder to do something about. But it does come with a promise. If we allow God's Spirit to have its way, it will bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine a community where everybody is multiplying that. That will scale. That's what we want, and that's why God gives us his spirit. And when you look at that picture, self-control uh, fits rather well as a final brush stroke in the portrait. The kind of person, the kind of community, the kind of world that God wants to build, it would seem couldn't come into being without self-control. Like, it's, it's the key to freedom. And sure, you know, self-control, yeah, you know, it has connotations of restraint. We know that. But really, it is the capacity to say yes just as much as to say no. Considering everything that we have, I think uh, we could define it simply in this way. Uh, Self-control is the strength to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. Self-control is the strength to say no to the right things and the strength to say yes to the right things. And it assumes the wisdom to know the difference, which comes through a connection with the Spirit. We might think of the proverb, uh, hearing the echoes, the the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is the knowing and the doing. The doing being the harder part, but the spirit enables them both. You can't take on the flesh without the spirit. Don't try it. Okay? Willpower is great, and it can lead to some great achievements, but only in the spirit is there strength to keep this in its place and bring this to life. And here's the final caveat before uh, the page turns from Galatians 5. And it's curious to me, the way that it's phrased. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, two things. Uh, one, crucified is a pretty strong word, eh? Yeah. Kill that beast. Annihilate that thing. No soft pedaling. No, no trying to tame it or turn it down. Just dial it back to a comfortable volume. Crucify it. And then two, it, it speaks in the past tense. Assuming that those who are Jesus' people have, have done that. And I guess, uh, just, just for me... I'm just not so confident as to say it that way for myself. Now, I understand there's multiple layers here, and there is a sense in which Jesus' action makes this true. He has been crucified and raised, and I've identified with him in baptism, dying to the old life, being raised to new life. Yup, happened. I just, I wish my present life better reflected that. Because I often feel like I entertain the old life sometimes. Just, just have those desires and passions over dinner just to catch up for a while. To be honest, as I've reckoned with all this and self-control and the, 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 the dynamics at play here, 
I realized that uh, I, am, I am a pretty self-disciplined person, actually. I largely uh, can limit this to experience this. But I can't, I don't think I can say I'm trying to kill this. I think, if I'm being honest, I think I just tolerate the presence of sin in my life more than Jesus does. I like the Spirit's influence in, in, in my garden. But I still seem to want to carve out some space for whatever I want to grow. Yet Jesus says, crucify the flesh. Cultivate the spirit. What do you need to put to death? What, what, what are you tolerating that is, however subtly or invisibly or obviously, poisoning your mind or your body or your relationships, and it needs to die. And just, just to be clear, when we say kill this, that, that doesn't mean squash your dreams. It doesn't mean passion is bad. It doesn't mean don't have any fun. I mean, put, put the list up there again, okay? Does this look like, like no fun? I mean, does this look like something that would be brought into being without people dreaming big and going after stuff and trusting God and having a blast with one another and celebrating at every milestone along the way? I mean, that's God's heart. Just don't let sin wreck it. Don't go after a freedom that isn't free. Accept the gift of self-control. And, and if sin is wrecking you right now, Jesus can handle that. You, you be honest about that. Jesus will be kind to you. This community will be patient with you. This, this fruit can still grow. Your first step toward self-control might just be to admit you're out of control and you need Jesus. You're ready to let his spirit come in. We're probably all out of control in some regards, right? I, I don't know what it is for you. My dad often says, you know, what's your bag? Like, you know, what, what's your thing? What's, what's your gig? What's your taste? Or in the negative sense, what's your problem? I, I don't know, he's old, okay? But what, what's your bag, right? What, what is it? Drinking, eating, shopping, gambling, scrolling, lust? Worrying, complaining, gossiping, criticizing. What, what's out of control? Negativity, grudges, bitterness, anger. Or, or where, do you, where do you need to say yes instead of no? Where, where do you say yes? To exercise, hard work, good reading, new friends, consistent worship, serving, joining a group, laughing, playing, opening the curtains, opening your life to a counselor, to support group. Self-control. The strength to say no. The strength to say yes. If you want it, you got to crucify the flesh, cultivate the spirit, kill the flesh, live by the spirit. Which means practically, you know, we probably need some boundaries set up. We, we preached on that before. Boundaries. 
with whatever it is for you, with boundaries with screen time, with internet accountability, or, you know, don't, shop, don't put that food in your house. It might need to be severe. Cut that credit card up. Cut off that relationship. The, the language here is severe. I trust the Spirit will convict you, convict you with the knowing, and aid you in the doing. I'll finish here by just sharing, um, for me, where, where all this has landed for me right now. It turns out I've been led to believe that I need to start doing a new thing and continue doing an old thing. The new thing for me is fasting. Um, it's not totally foreign, totally new. It's just been very sporadic and anything but regular in my life. I really only have enough experience with it to know that I hate it. I hate it. I'm talking about going without food for a period of time, okay, specifically food. Uh, it was a very normal thing in the Bible and for Christians for centuries and still is a very normal and regular thing for Christians today, just not me. And I, I know I'm thin and you're looking at me like, come on, Luke, get off the stage, man. I ain't got time for you, all right? Uh, okay. It's not about that. It's not about that. Uh, sugar has got a hold of me in, in a way that, frankly, I'm just too tolerant of. And even if that addiction, if it's not showing out in my waistline, it is taking over in other ways that I know are real, even if I can't explain them. And if I am going to let the Spirit have its way with all of my desires, then what I know is I just need to regularly get into an arena where my appetites are not calling the shots. It's hard to sum it up. Kill that beast. And it ain't going to die on one shot. This is a discipline to cultivate over time. I'm not very good at it right now. 24 hours is super hard. Starting there and doing it weekly. The easy part is saying it to you. Now i got to do it. I already started. got to keep going. But it comes with a promise. That the fruit that I want will, will be able to grow. The thing that I need to keep doing is uh, confession and accountability. i got to maintain a relationship or relationships with people in front of whom I can tell the truth about myself. I can bring the things from the dark into the light and confess and repent. And I know that they will continue to love me. They want what's best for me as Jesus defines it. They're listening to Jesus on my behalf, helping me hear his critique and his encouragement. They're supporting me and following through on my yeses and my noes. Here's the thing, I can't govern myself apart from others. Self-control requires submitting to others. The strength that God provides, it comes through the Spirit in mysterious ways, and it comes sometimes through very identifiable ways, like the bonds of a friend. And I can't cultivate the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit without the community that is filled by the Spirit. And that's true for all of us. So that's where I'm at. And uh, I don't know what time it is. We're running out of time yet. I, I know there's a ton more to say, right? And there's a ton more questions that we didn't answer. And we all want to know things about certain times where self-control calls us to draw the line. And there's cases like, oh, the Bible doesn't say don't drink. But it, drunkenness is clearly out of bounds. And the Spirit will lead some of us to say hard pass on alcohol. That's the, that will destroy me. And the same Spirit, the same Spirit will give others of us strength to say the right yes. And to say no at the right point. In the light of accountable relationships. And we will for a lifetime humbly discern the Spirit together 
in community and govern our desires in various kinds of ways, knowing that if the Spirit is truly at work among us and governing us, we're not going to be miserly, miserable, joyless, judgy jerks. And neither are we going to be uh, flippant, licentious, luscious. That's the way a Spirit-filled community works. And it can be so beautiful when the portrait is complete with self-control. So I don't know what your bag is. I, I, I don't know what, what, what's locking you down. But may you let the Spirit bear in you the fruit of self-control to set you free from doing whatever you want so that you can do and we can all be who we truly Let's pray. God, that really is our prayer. We confess that we are so often tempted to be led into something that looks like freedom but ends up enslaving us. God, set us free. You have called us to be a free people. Help us to know and experience what true freedom is like. And I know that there are bonds that are holding people right now that are listening. There are chains that have held us back for too long and we're frustrated with them. We don't even want them. We can't get rid of them on our own strength, and so we call on your name and invite the presence of your spirit to set us free, truly free. Cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Find us a ready and willing partner so that we all might grow into a lush and beautiful garden just as you desire. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.